the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to The Advocate with your host, Nick Phillips. And now, here's your host, Nick Phillips. Good evening, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another edition of The Advocate. Uh, Tonight uh, is the night we talk to State Representative Dave Greenspan, who's going to update us on what's going on in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, Dave, thank you for calling, as always. John, Nick, I appreciate being on on this cold Sunday day. Oh, I, I understand. Um, can't wait till summer, and it's, it just <laughs> ended, so I'm very spoiled. But uh, in any event, uh, as always, you give us a report and update us on what's going on in Columbus, Ohio, with the Ohio State Legislature, and uh, what, what's been happening recently since we talked last. Well, one of the current projects that, that we're undertaking right now, and, and a lot of folks that might not realize this, but we have five budgets that the state operates under. And the, the fifth one that we work on the last one is the capital budget and so right now through the end of the year you're going to see your legislators and and the administration work on getting capital budget submissions prepared Uh, we have to have them in by january 10th for um, a decision to be made as to which projects to fund by around march Uh, sometime in march is what we're hearing so uh, this past friday i held a town hall meeting uh, in the district, um, it's not limited to district individuals. We had a number of organizations that came to the meeting who were not from the district to talk about capital submission projects uh, and things that they may be interested in. Uh, here in Northeast Ohio, GCP, Greater Cleveland Partnership, does a good job in coordinating uh, projects from the business community. And uh, Bill Blair does a great job with the arts and cultural community as well. So. We'll work with, with, with those individuals and those groups as well as we'll work with our local cities and, and uh, local stakeholders to see what we can do about bringing some capital budget money back to the district. Uh, two years ago, we were successful. We had nine projects in the district that were funded through the capital project uh, for nearly $900,000, and uh, we're looking forward to having uh, that type of success again. Um, and interesting, when I, I told the group on Friday, I don't view success as the total dollars submitted, but more so the number of projects that I submit and those that are funded. And last General Assembly, we submitted nine local projects and, and uh, uh, that were funded. And um, we received a substantial amount of the money that each organization was requesting, which benefited our local communities very in a very advantageous way. Oh, oh, very good. You know, you're talking about capital funding. I'm thinking about the uh, gas tax that uh, went into effect uh, earlier and uh, generated more capital funds for highways. Has that money started to be processed through the system yet? Are we seeing more projects for 2020 because of it? Yeah, the, the, so, so that went into effect July 1st, and mid-August the cities did start receiving uh, almost immediately, you know, right, right at, at the collection point. Uh, they t- did start seeing more money for roads and bridge projects, uh, as did ODOT. So those projects don't just happen overnight, and so they require, and especially since the funding was originally approved back in, in April, 
the uh, communities have started, I can tell you, uh, have started the process of, of accelerating their already lengthy road and bridge project list now that they know the funding will be available for them to, to, to uh, ensure those projects are, are done uh, in, in a timely fashion. Now, the timely fashion is, is subjective because some projects are more ready than others, but that money is working in each of our communities already. Well, it seems like in 2019 we noticed so many uh, road projects, so many orange barrels around. I, I guess we're going to be seeing orange barrels around for quite some time yet. That's right. I mean, I think that's, that's, that's you know, we, we have five seasons here in Ohio, right? You know, winter, spring, summer, fall, and, and orange barrel season. <laughs> which and, is the longest. And, huh? Yeah, which, which can be the longest, and you're going to start to see more of that. But, you know, if you look at our, our infrastructure, not only here in Ohio, but throughout the country, it, it is generally aging. A lot of our roads and bridges, a lot of our utilities were post-World War II um, projects. And whether they maintain sufficiently or not is the subject of debate. But it appears that that perfect swine they are starting to deteriorate again. Being one, that water systems and sanitary system that are throughout the region that need to be addressed. And we've got all communications infrastructure and energy infrastructure that all have significant challenges just because of the age of the systems and the capacity. Uh, and the need is greater than, than often those systems were originally designed to handle. Well, when you're down there in Columbus representing uh, your district up here in northeast Ohio, uh, how much competition is there for that money down there for different capital uh, projects? Uh, everybody's holding their hand out, I'm sure. But uh, what do we have to argue that's uh, different for us? Well, you're right. I mean, this is a, it's a statewide capital campaign budget process. And some districts and some regions have more more requests than others. You know, the strong assets and attributes that we have here in Northeast Ohio, primarily around arts and culture, tend to be some of the larger recipients of the money that Northeast Ohio gets. So we do see a lot of money going to our museums and to our performing arts and arts-related capital assets. But there are other issues that, that we see the funding uh, go towards. In, in my district last General Assembly, we had money go to North Carolina, as an example, to enhance their, their emergency communications uh, system. Bay Village received money for swift water emergency response on Lake Erie. Uh, there are some historical sites in the district that received funding as well that wouldn't fall under any of the traditional asks that you see from the large organizations, large institutions. and typically projects that only the home district representative and senator would advocate for. So that's why last General Assembly, when we got nine projects of the nine we submitted, we were very happy with that because we, we were able to demonstrate that we've got projects here that are that are important to, to the district, and we were able to bring those funds back home to help, you know, whichever of the five communities you live in. But at the same time, we also advocate for Northeast Ohio. And so I, I believe I had close to 50 submissions nine of which were from my district specifically, but others were items that benefited the region, such as the, the uh, Aerospace Institute just outside my district. It provides tremendous support for NASA. Um, the, obviously, the performing arts and what they do for our region and for our quality of life, those types of, 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 of needs are there. Uh, we do compete with Cincinnati, as an example, with Columbus and, and all the other 87 counties 
and 98 House districts uh, for those funds, and we try to put together a very compelling argument as to why our projects here in Northeast Ohio and those projects in the 16th district should and need to be funded to help improve the quality of life for residents, to help provide a higher quality of public safety for our, our communities, and whatever other needs uh, we have out there that can help enhance uh, our district in Northeast Ohio. You know, years ago, I was on the school board uh, up in uh, North Royalton for a number of years, and we used to compare the tax dollars that would come out of North Royalton and be sent down to Columbus and measure those up against the, the tax money coming back, the appropriated funds coming back to North Royalton from the state. Uh, is there any type of accounting or comparison of how much uh, your district uh, contributes to the state budget, uh, either in real estate taxes, income taxes, uh, uh, fuel taxes, those kinds of things, and how much comes back to the district. Do, do we go through that at all? Great. Well, thank you. That's a great question. You know, it's it's often difficult to, to determine exactly how much sales tax revenue, as an example, is generated in a particular district. And I'll give you an example why. We were trying to determine what was at the county level. We started seeing an increase in sales tax revenue coming into Cuyahoga County. And we asked as, as the Department of Taxation, could you help us understand what's going on? Now, it was right around the same time that the, the uh, MCO, the Medicaid um, Care Organization tax, was being implemented. And so we started to see an increase in revenue related to that. But what we asked was, how do we know more definitively? And a lot of companies on the sales tax side will file with the state as one sales tax entity, but they might geographically be in many cities. And so it's hard for us to really determine definitively how much are we generating versus how much are we getting back. I, it's safe to say, as a as a quote unquote donor community, one that generates more tax revenue generally than we receive, that we do we do provide funding for other parts of the state. What I can tell you in this current budget that was passed, we we did increase funding locally. We did increase the local government funding. We did increase school funding. We did increase library funding, which are typically three of the main areas of funding folks think of when they think about local government funding or local funding in general. Now we've got an increase in funding coming into the into the, our communities and the county due to the increase in the fuel tax, which will be beneficial to us, but also because of the robust co- economy we have here in the state and more funding being attributed to uh, wraparound services, as an example, for children in, in schools, that were which contributed to $680 million coming back into our local communities across the state for those related efforts. We are seeing more money come back um, oh, into our good. local communities and to our county. Very so we are starting to see that. It's not as measurable mm-hmm. um, as one might imagine, um, but we are seeing definitely more uh, more funding coming in. Well, well, that is very good. We're talking to State Representative Dave Greenspan. We're going to take a short break, and uh, we'll be back with uh, State Rep Greenspan. So don't go away. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK, The Advocate. We'll be right back. I'm Pat Lamb. Select Insurance Services is a family-run business and your personal shopper for auto, home, and business insurance. Plus, I'm Dave Ramsey's endorsed local provider. I think you'll agree, insurance is confusing, but at the same time, it's very important to your financial security. We believe insurance should be secured through a professional. Why? Because one wrong click in the do-it-yourself plan could cost you everything. 
Our approach stands out because we ask the right questions, listen to your personal situation, and share our knowledge to close potential coverage gaps. This is an experience a do-it-yourself plan can't provide. Did you know there could be a coverage gap when you drive someone else's car? So call us today, 440-237-8555, or check us out at selectinsservice.com. 440-237-8555, or selectinsservice.com. Hi, this is Nick Phillips, host of The Advocate. Pat Lamb and Select Insurance have been my insurance agents for years. Wonderful to work with and never a hassle. Call Pat Lamb at Select Insurance for your insurance needs. More than just a dentist, Dr. Carl Hedgie provides dental treatments for occlusions, TMJ problems, and for aesthetic rehabilitation. In dental practice for over 30 years, Dr. Hedgie has provided state-of-the-art dental treatment for all of his patients. Dr. Carl Hedgie is skilled at treating and resolving complicated dental problems. Located across from the North Royalton High School, call Dr. Hedgie's office for an appointment or visit his website at drhedgie.com. That's Dr. Carl Hedgie, H-E-G-Y-I at 440-237-3338 for the very best in dental care. Children, the product of a married couple who were once in love. Unfortunately, sometimes the marriage does not work and parents must get divorced. This is traumatic for the children as well as for the adults. The law firm of Phillips & Millie offers advice and representation in family law matters. Remember, your children are entitled to the utmost consideration when mom and dad have to part. Phillips and Millie, your local law firm on the west side of Middleburg Heights. Telephone 440-243-2800. You didn't plan it this way. You spent your entire life being careful, protecting your body and staying healthy when the carelessness of another changes your life forever. You need to know what's expected of you to prove your claim. You further have been changed forever. Know it's up to you to make your case. The lawyers at Phillips and Millie together have over 80 years of experience. If you have a case or think you may, call the law firm of Phillips and Millie at 440-243-2800. Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another segment of The Advocate. Uh, We're talking to State Representative Dave Greenspan tonight, getting an update on what's going on in Columbus, Ohio, with our state legislature. Uh, Dave, as always, thank you for joining us. No, thank you for having me. Uh, We were just talking about capital uh, funding and monies and dollars coming in and going out of our, our district here. Um, what are some of the other things going on in uh, the state? Uh, and we're talking about money. The question I have is with regard to unemployment. It seems unemployment is down low, and our business is having a tough time getting qualified employees. Yeah, that, that's obviously we've been hearing this for a number of years insofar as, uh, insofar as employers trying to qu- secure qualified and competent employees. So we've been working, as you know, on workforce development issues basically for the last decade and trying to enhance the quality of our workforce, which those efforts are are moving in the right direction. Uh, We've obviously had an issue with the opioid issue and ensuring that employees can um, can pass a drug screen, as an example. So when I say opioid, I mean more the drug-related issues, and so employees can can pass a drug screen. And we're starting to see, um, see those areas with some improvement. Obviously, it's not ideal, but our unemployment number is, is low. It continues to, to stay at a low level. We're right, right around 4%, 39 to 4% range, which is a good, a good area to be in. Some of our neighboring states are lower, some are higher. So we're, 
we're we're not too far off from where our our competitors are, but it's clearly something that we're working on. And I know that that Representative Perales over from the Dayton area has taken a strong interest in working with our military families. And although we may think of, and Wright-Patterson obviously is a big military installation on the western part of the state, here in northeast Ohio, we're the headquarters for the Coast Guard uh, Great Lakes region. And so we've got a large presence here of, of Coast Guard uh, personnel and their families. And what we're trying to do with our military military families is understand that when they relocate into a state and into Ohio, that oftentimes they come with a spouse. And the spouse has certain credentials and licensing that are permissive in other states but may fall short of our requirements here in Ohio or they may have to go through a qualification process. What we're trying to do here is to limit or eliminate any of those barriers so as those families continue to move into our state and cycle through our state that should they want to retire here that, that we're friendly to them and they already have the credentials and and, uh, and uh, requirements they need in order to stay here. So we're taking some very proactive stands. Um, I serve uh, as co-chair of the Economic Development Committee for the Council of State Governments Midwest Region, which includes 11 Midwest states and five Canadian provinces. And this is something we talk about often, is workforce workforce development, workforce retention, and how is it that we're able to, to, to fill the needs of our employers. Uh, and, and, you know, and obviously we're competitive with each other. So, but we, as a, as a, as a, as a committee and as, as an organization, work very well together in trying to come up with some of these solutions. And this military um, presence that, that Representative Perales has been working on and these issues have been very beneficial to us in the state in being able to, to focus on some of these workforce issues with our military personnel and their families. Uh, I was talking to uh, some university officials about enrollment uh, being somehow linked into to the good unemployment rate that uh, actual full-time enrollment has dropped a bit because uh, people are working rather than going to college. So we see that, well, that kind of trend. Yeah. Well, and I'll tell you some of the other, you know, so here's here's an interesting uh, situation with colleges and universities, with four-year schools in particular, is the, the CCP, the College Credit Plus program that we offer here in the state of Ohio to call, for college students to go earn for, I'm sorry, for high school students to earn college credit uh, while still in high school. Um, the uh, Kent State is an example. I had them in my office not too long ago, and they were telling me that the average freshman now is coming in with 16 credit out, college credit hours already achieved. And so that, and, and while that's very good, and we all applaud that, I'm not, not discrediting that program in any way. I, I, I like the program. But the conundrum it's putting our four-year institutions are is they're no longer getting four-year students. You know, 16 hours is, is a semester. So now they're getting students with three and a half years. You know, they're three and a half year students. Well, that has that changes their dynamic and their model as to how they operate and, and fund their universities. So it's it's one of these, you know, great programs we have that's having a, a, an impact on our on our four year schools. And the fact also that the legislature has put some some restrictions on increasing tuition to keep it affordable is putting our universities, our four-year schools, in, into a, an interesting financial situation that we're working with them uh, through. But an unintended consequence, uh, one that is welcome, and we're just going to have to work through it. Well, it's interesting because, these, like you say, these consequences that we don't anticipate uh, sort of have a rippling effect throughout the rest of the economy one way or the other. Uh, for, uh, for the end of this year and for next year, what, what are we looking at? Any major initiatives out there? 
Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, obviously I, I can speak to the, to the bills that I'm working on. Obviously sports gaming is one we've been working on all year. Uh, we're very close in the House. Um, I believe we've accepted our last amendments, and, and we're hoping to move that bill out very quickly. Uh, the anti-bullying, anti-hazing bill, uh, we are having a this Tuesday devoted out of committee, and I'm hoping to get it on the floor, um, I'm, I'm hoping as early as Wednesday, especially with, with the increased uh, incidences of hazing that have occurred in the state of Ohio. Uh, it's interesting, last General Assembly, we focused on the bullying side with 16 deaths by suicide throughout the state. This year, we're focusing, the, the, the highlight of the bill has been on the hazing side, uh, primarily because of what we see going on uh, up here with uh, the high school football team that had an issue with Case Western Reserve football camp this summer, uh, what we're seeing at Ohio University with the, the uh, band and rugby team, uh, as well as, unfortunately, the, the death we had down at OU last year uh, through uh, Greek life. Uh, this is an issue that's kind of driving the bill, the hazing component of the bill, more so than we saw in the past. So that bill's moving rather quickly. Um, I have another bill with the Ohio Checkbook, which is, provides transparency for public entities to display their, their expenditure data. Uh, we finally, after multiple years, have an agreement between OBM, Office of Budget Management, and the Treasurer's Office, which has been one of the stalling points for moving the bill forward. But there's an agreement that's been reached, and we're working diligently with them to get this bill um, it's already in the Senate, and we have one amendment that is coming. Uh, they'll pass it out of the Senate. We'll concur in the House, and then that bill and that project will be a permanent fixture of transparency and accountability uh, that the Treasurer's Office will maintain in perpetuity. So I'm excited about that. Um, my, my expectation is of the, of the 14 bills I'm working on, one has already been enacted into law that will have um, a total of six more bills over in the Senate. Um, before the end of the year, um, focusing on transparency in local governments and health and safety issues. Um, you know, hopefully the sports gaming issue will, will, will provide some some funding for our educational institutions, our K-12 through folks, and at the same time pull this activity out of the shadows and provide some consumer protections for those who wish to engage in that activity. So we're working on a lot of good things, and uh, we're going to continue to work, work on those items and uh, have those items become law and provide a higher quality of life for all Ohioans. Well, very good. Well, one of the uh, stabilizing factors that we've been talking about is the economy, as long as the economy stays where it's, it's going. Uh, going back to one of the topics we talked about, just, we just have a couple minutes here, uh, the opioid situation. And uh, here mm-hmm. in Cuyahoga County, they just resolved, settled out a case with the pharmaceutical companies, uh, bringing in uh, millions of dollars here to this economy here. Is there anything equivalent going on at the state level with regard to opioid money? Well, for, you mean as far as settlements from lawsuits? No, right, I mean as far at this lawsuits. point, we've not seen. Yeah, we've not seen any settlement money at the state level, but we've been working obviously with our local partners to ensure that we're addressing the issue. It's it, you know it, it's a multifaceted issue. It's one that's impacted not only by the state, um, but within our region, but the country. But it's also an it's an international issue as well. And until we're able to start to cut off the supply of, of, of illegal drugs coming into this country, unfortunately, we're going to deal, be dealing with some form of drug and addiction issue. We have seen in the state uh, a, a reduction in opioid overdose deaths. Uh, the numbers in the last number I saw was in the low 20, 20 percent reduction. A lot of that has to do with the use of Narcan and other drugs that are that are helping to save people who do overdose. 
I'm not in any way implying that we're seeing a reduction in overall usage, but we are seeing a reduction in the number of deaths related to opioid uh, opio- opioid overdoses. So we're going to continue to work on that issue, and uh, the governor has a robust plan that we've implemented in the budget to enhance the number of treatment beds and facilities for those who need uh, addiction services, and we're going to work diligently to, to do what we can to um, to, to work to address this issue. Well, very good. Sounds like the plate is still full over there and uh, things are going well in Columbus for now. So it's a great snapshot you give us as far as what's well, going you. on. We'll be uh, talking to you again in December to get another update on what's happening and before we close out the year of 2019. Hard to believe we're going on to 2020 already. But, I, know. Uh, I know. But State Representative Dave Greenspan, thank you so very much for joining us tonight. Well, thank you. I appreciate being on as always. As always here too. So, Uh, And uh, we're going to take a short break now. We'll be back after these words. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK, The Advocate. Don't go away. Hi, I'm Pat Lamb. Select Insurance Services is a family-run business and your personal shopper for auto, home, and business insurance. Plus, I'm Dave Ramsey's endorsed local provider. I think you'll agree, insurance is confusing, but at the same time, it's very important to your financial security. We believe insurance should be secured through a professional. Why? Because one wrong click in the do-it-yourself plan could cost you everything. Our approach stands out because we ask the right questions, listen to your personal situation, and share our knowledge to close potential coverage gaps. This is an experience a do-it-yourself plan can't provide. Did you know there could be a coverage gap when you drive someone else's car? So call us today, 440-237-8555, or check us out at selectinsservice.com. 440-237-8555, or selectinsservice.com. Hi, this is Nick Phillips, host of The Advocate. Pat Lamb and Select Insurance have been my insurance agents for years. Wonderful to work with and never a hassle. Call Pat Lamb at Select Insurance for your insurance needs. You didn't plan it this way. You spent your entire life being careful, protecting your body and staying healthy when the carelessness of another changes your life forever. You need to know what's expected of you to prove your claim. You further have been changed forever. Know it's up to you to make your case. The lawyers at Phillips and Millie together have over 80 years of experience. If you have a case or think you may, call the law firm of Phillips and Millie at 440-243-2800. WHK, Cleveland. Children, the product of a married couple who were once in love. Unfortunately, sometimes the marriage does not work and parents must get divorced. This is traumatic for the children as well as for the adults. The law firm of Phillips and Millie offers advice and representation in family law matters. Remember, your children are entitled to the utmost consideration when mom and dad have to part. Phillips and Millie, your local law firm on the west side of Middleburg Heights. Telephone 440-243-2800. More than just a dentist, Dr. Carl Hedgie provides dental treatments for occlusions, TMJ problems, and for aesthetic rehabilitation. In dental practice for over 30 years, Dr. Hedgie has provided state-of-the-art dental treatment for all of his patients. Dr. Carl Hedgie is skilled at treating and resolving complicated dental problems. Located across from the North Royalton High School, call Dr. Hedgie's office for an appointment or visit his website at drhedgie.com. That's Dr. Carl Hedgie, H-E-G-Y-I. 
at 440-237-3338 for the very best in dental care. Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another segment of The Advocate. Uh, we're uh, getting near the end of the year, and we're starting to think about charities and giving gifts to charities and uh, making good things happen to people who otherwise good things would not happen to. And uh, you wonder when you give to a charity how that money is being spent and whether or not it's a decent charity. The last thing you want to know is that your charity is involved in some sort of scandal. Well, there is hope. There's an expert out there who studies and knows all about charitable foundations and charitable giving, and his name is Doug White. Uh, Doug, thank you for joining us tonight. Well, Nick, it's my pleasure to be with you. You And uh, you're calling from where tonight? I'm in New York City. That's where I hang my hat, and I like the city, but I've also been to Cleveland a few times, and I think it's one of the great cities of the country. It's, uh, it's, well, thank you so very much. Uh, we hear the listeners who are listening right now are uh, Cleveland survivors. I mean, we've elected to stay here, and we love it, So, for the most part. <laughs> so uh, it's a great place to travel uh, around the rest of the country and the rest of the world from Cleveland and come back home. Uh, I, I heard well, let me tell you that my sense is that anybody who survives Cleveland isn't really sacrificing very much because <laughs> it's a great place to be. Well, uh, amen to that. I, I agree. There is one thing saying that uh, home, it's, uh, it's good to leave home and, and visit places, but it's just great to come back home again. And we do that here in Cleveland. But uh, also, Cleveland's big on charities, and uh, we support charities. Uh, I, I noticed that... Uh, you have been involved as a, an advisor, a teacher, an author uh, on philanthropic issues. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your background and, and what got you involved and interested in looking at this sector of our economy? I was invited to a dinner back in 1979 that began the process of a capital campaign at my uh, private high school in New Hampshire They were celebrating their bicentennial starting that year. And afterwards, someone asked me if I knew why I was invited to the dinner. And I said, no, but it was great food, so thank you. And he said, well, actually, we were hoping that you would volunteer to go out and ask for some money in support of the capital campaign. And I was very young at the time and knew nothing, relatively nothing about charities. And I said, well, I'd be glad to do that because at the time I was selling life insurance and financial products. And so it wasn't any big deal to go ask people for money. So he gave me a list of five people, and I went to see all of them, and the goal was to get $1,000 for for, uh, each person, and I got it. I asked each person, and they said yes, and I was really impressed with the connection these people had to the cause, and I thought, this is really cool. People are actually giving away their money for this cause, and I felt connected to that. I felt like this was something I could... I could relate to. And so that began this, what's become really now more than uh, actually a 40 year odyssey. And I've learned so much about human nature, uh, the goodness of the world, uh, the generosity people have for other people, because to be charitable means you have to think beyond yourself. And I think that so many of us in America and around the world, let's be clear about that. It's not just a national issue, but I think people around the world are so are so willing to help other people. And to me, that's magical. It's, it's almost spiritual to watch that happen. And so then 
as time passed, having that as a foundation for me, I began to be interested in how that works. What are the machinations of that? And so for the last 40 years, I've been looking into the way charities are run, the kind of people who run them, some of them being not so great. Uh, and so I, I've got my nose into the areas where, hey, this is really important area of our society, and I don't want you to screw it up. And so it's important to call out the bad people. So that's pretty much what I've been doing for the last uh, several years, and, and most recently for the last 10 or 15 years, concentrating on helping boards, charitable boards, understand their roles as the stewards of charitable causes. It's been a wonderful journey, and, and I, I'm really grateful to have been able to, to, to take it. Well, it's an important role to play because uh, many times from being an outsider to any charity, we don't know the inside workings of that charity. We don't know anything more than how much money they bring in. They usually are public about that. And we have an idea that they spend some little most of that money on uh, stated goals uh, for for certain demographics. Uh, so it, it's good to know there's uh, a body of knowledge out there that, that you have put together over these years that can help us uh, make decisions about what charities are good and what charities are bad. Um, you, you have a, a new book out that's uh, coming out, uh, I think, uh, last month or this month, called Wounded Charity, about the uh, Wounded Warriors. There was, uh, I would say there were, were allegations, and after all the dust settled, the allegations were proven false. Uh, does, does that happen much in charities? Are charities pretty much at the mercy of the media and, and stories that can sort of just pop up like that? It's usually the other way around. I, as I mentioned, started looking into charities and the way they're run and find bad things happening at charities, some, not all. In fact, most of the one million plus charities in the United States are, are great places. But normally when you hear about a charity that's gone bad or doing bad things, you can, you can count on that being fairly accurate and, and it should be a red flag. But there are, there are times when the media does not get the story correctly, and that happens, and that's not because they're a bad place themselves, it's just that sometimes uh, stories can get their own life, and they go, and, and in the case of Wounded Warrior Project, which is a very fine charity and always has been, you get some people who don't like what's going on, and they can start affecting the way people in the media think, and then the media does a story, and then the story is told. The point behind Wounded charity is to not so much untell that story because once it's out there it's out there but to correct it and i say this with a great deal of respect for both the media organizations that promoted this these allegations they were the new york times and cbs news i have a high regard for cbs news and a high regard for the new york times and a high regard for most media outlets but sometimes they make mistakes and in this case the mistakes were so egregious uh i felt that uh, the truth had to come out, and I, I wanted to pursue this. It became a, a passion of mine because I wasn't paid to do this. Nobody gave me any money to do this. I just did it. And I actually stopped working at Columbia, where I was the director of a program for charities, in order to find the time to do this because it was so so unusual a story at, a, at an organization that was so important to veterans in the United States but I just wanted to find out more about it, so I took a few years and, and did it. Well, get to the truth. What? Yeah. 
What what happened? What was the genesis of this uh, this bad mouthing, I suppose, of of that charity, Wounded Warriors, and why did it pick up so much uh, speed and uh, momentum? People like well, there bad news. <laughs> there are a couple of reasons for that, Nick, and I think the the beginning of it all was a couple of people who began a Facebook page and then created an echo chamber with more and more people joining it. And these were of disgruntled former employees, and they were all talking bad about the charity. And I went into each of those histories, the people who were on the, on the Facebook page, and found out that they were dismissed for cause. And so there was a reason for them for not to be there any longer. I could understand their anger, but that anger does not necessarily translate to a legitimate criticism of the charity. But the New York Times got wind of this and felt that there was a story there. And I know this because the New York Times, separately from this, had called me about the Wounded Warrior Project successes over the years. And there had been a lot of discussion because Wounded Warrior Project grew very quickly. They went from a $10 million organization 10 years prior to uh, almost a $400 million organization by the year 2016. And so there was a lot of conversation as to how they were raising their money and how the money was being used. And and so there was kind of like an opening for people who would normally be critical of a group that's growing quickly to actually actually starting their criticisms. And so the Times got into this, and they were not going to be writing a story very quickly. It was what I would call an evergreen story, something that could go at any point. But CBS News picked up the fact that the New York Times was working on it, and CBS News had its own hasty agenda by that time, uh, and I'll get to why that is in a moment. But we, we have about a they minute. Wanted to do is, they wanted to get that out, and well, so the New York Times felt pressure to get a, get that out as well. Well, we're talking to uh, to Doug White. He's an expert on charities, philanthropic giving, and the organizations, how they're run, and uh, and how they can get into trouble. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back with Doug White talking about charities and where your money goes after these words. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK, The Advocate. Don't go away. More than just a dentist, Dr. Carl Hedgie provides dental treatments for occlusions, TMJ problems, and for aesthetic rehabilitation. In dental practice for over 30 years, Dr. Hedgie has provided state-of-the-art dental treatment for all of his patients. Dr. Carl Hedgie is skilled at treating and resolving complicated dental problems. Located across from the North Royalton High School, call Dr. Hedgie's office for an appointment or visit his website at drhedgie.com. That's Dr. Carl Hedgie, H-E-G-Y-I at 440-237-3338 for the very best in dental care. Hi, I'm Pat Lamb. Select Insurance Services is a family-run business and your personal shopper for auto, home, and business insurance. Plus, I'm Dave Ramsey's endorsed local provider. I think you'll agree, insurance is confusing, but at the same time, it's very important to your financial security. We believe insurance should be secured through a professional. Why? Because one wrong click in the do-it-yourself plan could cost you everything. Our approach stands out because we ask the right questions, listen to your personal situation, and share our knowledge to close potential 
coverage gaps. This is an experience a do-it-yourself plan can't provide. Did you know there could be a coverage gap when you drive someone else's car? So call us today, 440-237-8555, or check us out at selectinsservice.com. 440-237-8555, or selectinsservice.com. Hi, this is Nick Phillips, host of The Advocate. Pet Lamb and Select Insurance have been my insurance agents for years. Wonderful to work with and never a hassle. Call Pat Lamb at Select Insurance for your insurance needs. Children, the product of a married couple who were once in love. Unfortunately, sometimes the marriage does not work and parents must get divorced. This is traumatic for the children as well as for the adults. The law firm of Phillips and Millie offers advice and representation in family law matters. Remember, your children are entitled to the utmost consideration when mom and dad have to part. Phillips and Millie, your local law firm on the west side of Middleburg Heights. Telephone 440-243-2800. Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with our final segment of The Advocate for tonight. Uh, We're talking to Doug White, who's an expert on philanthropic giving and charities and and how charitable funds are used. Uh, Doug, again, thank you so much for joining us. It's good to be here with you, Nick. No, we're talking about uh, how the Wounded Warrior Group uh, essentially got a bad rap, but it, it sort of took off and spoiled uh, the donations that were received by the Wounded Warrior. Are, are they back uh, to where they should be now? No, they're not. In the three years following the crisis, by the way, the crisis began in January 2016 with the media reports and then took another turn after that about a month later when the two top people were fired. And in my view, they, there was really no reason for those two to go. And it was a It was a board problem more than anything else. But to your question, they lost over $660 million in the following three years. Over the last year, I think they have come back a little bit from their low point, but they're nowhere near where they should be. And I think what's going to happen is that they may not get to where they should be for two reasons. One is the lingering effects of this scandal and I think of it as a scandal of a media dimension as opposed to one of a charity dimension. But on top of that, the new leadership has, I think, a smaller vision for the organization. So I don't believe that Wounded Warrior Project will get back to where it was, but they're still one of the nation's great charities. They're just not as good as they were, in my view. And what I mean by not as good, I don't want to be too broad, or I don't want to accuse without rationale, What I mean by that is that they have cut down on some of their programs, eliminated some of their programs. The most important program that I see that's been affected has been the long-term trust. These guys and gals come back from war at very young ages, and they will need care, many of them, for the rest of their lives. And the old regime at Wounded Warrior Project knew that this was going to cost money if they were going to help them. And they're going to be helped in ways that the VA isn't currently able to do because it's just too large a task. And they were going to put together a trust that was going to be funded with about a billion dollars over time. Well, the funding for that has stopped. That's partly because the funding to Wounded Warrior Project has stopped. So the the money part of it is one thing, but the money, effective money, is the other. And that is all these young men and women are going to be served in a way they wouldn't have been 
had the, the organization continued as it was. I do hope they come back. I want them to come back. I think they're a good organization. I don't have any fault with the current leadership other than that I do think they have a different vision, but they're good people. And so if you think of this, this is going to be simplistic, but follow me here. Uh, you have a scale of one to 10, and I think that most charities are probably around five. I'm a, I'm a hard grader, by the way, and I taught in college, so you know, there you go. There you uh, go. Five. <laughs> they would be probably, in the old days, charity, uh, Wounded Warrior Project would be, let's say, a nine. But And after after everything, after three years right now, I would say they're around a seven or so. So I would say they're well past the average charity, well past it, uh, but not as good as they were. Well, it, I remember when the story broke about Wounded Warrior, and uh, of course, news is normally bad news. And when you're filtering all kinds of news coming from all kinds of news sources, then you hear Wounded Warrior is a bad organization. That's pretty much all you remember. Uh, and the years going by now, th that taint that came about so easily and so quickly in 2016 uh, apparently is still uh, affecting that charity. I want to switch gears just a little bit. Uh, going to uh, Operation uh, Varsity Blues, and uh, with regard to giving to universities, uh, I, I see now that Lori Laughlin, who is uh, charged criminally for bribing officials to get her two daughters into a uh, university, uh, is going to basically demand a trial. At least that's how it looks today. And if that happens, uh, I would assume that there's going to be some discussion about why they gave it to these groups. And I understand a fellow named Rick Singer runs a couple of groups, Key Worldwide Foundation uh, and The Edge uh, if these are portrayed as uh, what the IRS calls 501c3 foundations, uh, it may be a criminal defense that they were giving money donating to charities. I guess the whole point of, of my comment is that by the time Varsity Blues plays out, do you think we're going to have a taint and a bad reputation and, uh, and impacting on all charities where people can misuse these funds? I hope so because I think the conversation needs to be elevated. I think this particular case, the Lori Laughlin case, is particularly interesting because she's not backing down. Uh, they paid, I think, $500,000, if I'm not mistaken, which is different from Felicity Huffman, who, who served a very brief time in jail for a smaller issue, but also because she confessed. Uh, Lori Laughlin has not confessed. She's gone the other direction. Her main, I believe, her main argument will be that she gave to charity and so it was not a bribe it was a charitable gift i as you can probably imagine nick do not find that to be a credible uh statement but i think that's where she's going to go in court and i wrote an article about this about three weeks ago um and and argued that through it was an ethics column that i do and said this was not really a charitable gift because it was so obviously a transaction and you're right the the, the Springer's uh, uh, charity, I don't believe it was a real charity. It's not, not a good charity. It's legally a charity, but I don't think it's, it's a real charity in the way I look at charities. It's just a pass-through. And so there is a, a tremendous amount of responsibility for the IRS and attorneys general to look at that question. But on the other hand, in addition to all of that, I mean, we can be mad at Felicity Huffman. We can be 
mad at all of the parents who are taking part in this. But you know, the other charities that should be really held to account are the receiving charities. In this case, you were talking about the university, that's the University of Southern California. And there were other universities. They cannot have not known what was going on. They were turning a blind eye. Now, I'm not saying that as a fact, Nick, so just understand that, and I know you're an attorney, so I want to be very careful. Yeah, see, you're not held to that here. We're we're just talking. (laughs) We're just talking. In my my heart of hearts, I believe they should be held accountable and should explain why they let that kind of thing happen. So, yes, the parents are at fault here. Springer's at fault. There was a a scheme to, to do something that should not have been able to be done, but a large part of the equation is filled with those universities that allowed it to be happening while they were looking the other way. What, what I haven't heard yet is with regard to uh, Lori Laughlin's uh, tax returns. Uh, has that been made public yet as to whether or not they actually took those tax deductions as charitable donations? I am waiting with bated breath on that point. Now, as you know, the tax returns of individuals are not automatically a public document like charity information returns are. And so that'll have to be subpoenaed and made public uh, through the process. And I don't know if that'll happen. But one of my questions in this article a couple of weeks ago was, if they're so darn charitable, like the attorney is saying they are, let's see what they are doing from a charitable perspective. And that would be very, I think, revealing. We don't know the answers to that. But I would imagine that we would, we would be finding that they're not all that charitable. And if they did take a tax deduction, that would show that they deducted it. But that makes, in a way, the, the case even worse because here they are taking public money yeah. <laughs> to pay for their bribe. Well, that, that would, uh, I mean, we don't know all the facts. Uh, and, and that's where the lawyers come in because I think in defending the case, uh, if, for example, you go back 10 years and you see that they donate uh, to charity at least a million dollars a year for, for those years, and uh, USC has been one of their favorite. Uh, Charities, they've been putting out uh, three, four hundred thousand dollars a year to USC. I, you know, we don't know. We'll see if uh, the defense comes up and produces those records uh, to show that. But, uh, but, yes. but in any event, yeah, um, Doug, we're running out right. of time, and uh, but I just want to thank you so much, uh, not just for for talking to us tonight, for uh, for doing the things you do, because we do need to have faith in our charities, and uh, people are basically good. And when asked for the proper reason, they're going to give. And um, I think that's basically the thought until everyone is so disillusioned uh, that they're not going to give anymore, at least on an individual basis. So we can't abuse that trust that the uh, us members of the public have toward charities. But you're out there as a watchdog. We appreciate it. Thank you, Doug. Well, thank you, Nick, for the time. I appreciate it. Thank you. And uh, we're going to be back next week, same time, same station. So between and have a great week. Good night. And I sat and watched the Zanzibar sunset, sat and drank my fresh mint tea, with nothing to do until morning, and only my mind.